Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network podcast, where each month we're exploring what it means to be a godly leader in our homes, workplaces, and communities. We want to be a resource for men who are seeking spiritual leadership principles so that they live and lead differently in all aspects of their lives. This initiative is not just about reaching, but equipping multipliers for Christ. As always, listen to the end to hear our guest answer our favorite question, what do you want your legacy to be? We hope our conversations will help you answer that question yourself and better equip you to pursue it for the glory of God. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network podcast. So glad you're joining in today. And today we have a special guest. His name is Mike Mentor, and he is amazing. And if you've been around Rolling Hills at all, you've probably had a chance to meet him or to hear from him. Uh, but he just exudes wisdom and experience, and I am so thankful to be joined today with Mike. And so, Mike, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your career. Well, I've been a pastor for uh, since 1974 in Reston, Virginia. Uh, I've got four children. My famous one is my daughter, Kelly. The rest of us are just kind of low on the totem pole. Uh, but uh, no, I've got great four children, great wife, uh, went to Reston, in 1974, as I said, I came to know Christ in Denmark, Copenhagen, mm. in 1970, June of 1970, by a guy who had come back from Vietnam, and he had been shot down twice as a uh, helicopter pilot, uh, and now is in a wheelchair suffering from uh, multiple sclerosis mm. and a lot of really hard things. He can hardly move, but he's he's strong in, in the spirit, mm. just a great man, and thrilled that somebody took the time to tell me about Jesus. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. that. Well, tell me just a little bit about that journey, how you came to know Christ. I mean, you grew up in like a pretty special household. I mean, you know, yeah. so being in Denmark. My, my father uh, was a vice admiral, retired three-star. Uh, he was a superintendent of the Naval Academy, commandant of the Naval Academy, and the skipper of the aircraft carrier Intrepid. And uh, so I was raised in a home where I was constantly around a lot of fairly high-powered people. One morning I got up at the superintendent's house, went down to breakfast, and Billy Graham was sitting there. <laughs> and so, and then ended up having lunch with Billy Graham a little bit later on another time. So I've, I've been around a lot of kind of important people in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. Reston Bible Church has a lot of people that, that work in the war room at the Pentagon, mm-hmm. that brief the president daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, high-powered people like David Shedd, who's been very high for the CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency and a lot of Secret Service. Mm. So it was a sort of a different experience. And down here is just a totally different demographic, but a very powerful demographic. Mm. But they're they're just different. Mm-hmm. And they're just... Matter of fact, this week, I'm going to make ask the question, why us, why now, why here? Mm. Because we have to ask that question uh, as to why God in His providence has placed us at this particular time in this particular place. So that's kind of a brief wow. summary of my background. That's amazing. I mean, you have done amazing things. So, so you planted the church 47 years ago, and I mean, it was little, small, and now it, then it grew to be a mega yeah, church, yeah. impacting so many people in Washington, D.C., and so many people, as you mentioned, you know, at the White House and then, you know, the Pentagon, and, and you, you had an incredible impact. Tell us just a little bit about that journey. How, how was that? Well, it was, it, was, it was interesting because I was kind of the black sheep of the family. There wasn't anything I had done that was right. Uh, and, and I told my dad I was going to move to Reston and plant a church. And I have to admit, my father never said, well, that'll probably never work, though I knew in his mind he knew it wouldn't because everything else I'd touched did not work. So we moved to Reston. I got a job uh, as a um, locker room attendant at the local country club, Reston Country Club. 
And then I, and, and I was only getting paid uh, 6000 a year. So in order to supplement my income, I had set up a shoeshine business. And the interesting thing was about that is that I would go to church and preach and then run back and shine the shoes of the people that I just preached to. And then they would give me a tip. And I didn't know whether the tip was for my sermon or for the shoes. <laughs> it must have been for the sermon because the tips weren't very great. So I, <laughs> any rate, so it, it began to grow. It was in a, in a house and it started growing very, very rapidly. Mm. And then we moved to, a, uh, to the Sheridan Hotel, rented a room. Room G, I still remember it like it was five minutes ago. Kay sang Amazing Grace. I preached on John 3.16. There were about 25 people there. And then it moved to about 100 in just a few weeks. And then we had to keep moving. We moved five or six different times, built one facility, outgrew that after four services, then moved to a much bigger facility, which you've actually yeah. seen. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID hit us pretty bad, but uh, it's still going very, very strong. Just got back from doing the men's retreat up there and meeting with the staff. So it's, it's hard to believe that that many years have gone by mm. uh, so, so rapidly. And seeing that um, life is a vapor, and it really is. And if I, there's one thing I can get across to everybody, time is very short, and make the most of it. Wow. So wow. that's kind of my story. Man, well, you're 78, yes. and uh, God's blessed you in an incredible way, family and friends and leadership and and yet, in those 78 years, you've met with thousands of men. I mean, thousands of men. I mean, from the Naval Academy to some of the most powerful men in the world, uh, to ordinary guys in church. And, and what have you learned? I mean, what have you learned about men? I have learned that I think there's an awful lot of apathy out there right now with mm. men. Uh, it's a little disturbing because, you know, you feel like you're, you're, like you're pushing a rope sometimes trying to get—I'm not saying that's true of all men. There are mm. some great guys mm. at, at our church back home, great men here— mm. But if you were to take a, a, if you were to put a, sort of a dipstick into your church, mm. you're not going to find that many men that are really fired up. It seems like a lot of women are in many respects, mm. um, but it's it's we've 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 really hit men very hard up there. It's time to grow up, put on your big boy pants. There's things to do, and I think there's there's a lot of things competing with that materialism, uh, the internet, uh, movies, all the the stuff that's drawing men away from their singular. Uh, the singular reference point is we've been conformed to the image of Christ. That's our major. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes people just slip into oblivion and apathy. Uh, so it's a, if, if anybody, if any men are listening to this, I would just say, you know, life is short, make the most of it. So let's invest in eternity and not just the things of this world. Wow. That is so good. Well, Mike, when I think about you, I think about wisdom. And I do. I mean, I think you have so much life experience. You have so much experience interacting with people. You know, why is wisdom so important for a man? David made the statement in the Psalms. He said, I think it was Psalm 119, 18 or something. He said, I'm a stranger in this world. Hide not your commandments from me. In other words, hide not your wisdom. There's no way to navigate this world without godly wisdom. We have no idea what we're doing. Other, but then Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding. And, but that's our nature is to lean in, in our own human wisdom and ways of thinking that just leads us into a dead-end street. God has given us his book, which takes us into what I often refer to as the world of the unknown. Everything in life you can learn. You can learn how to fix a car. You can learn how to make a cell phone. You can learn, you, but you cannot understand 
things that, that are unknowable outside of God stepping into your life and revealing his wisdom to you. I, I would never know where I came from, why I'm here, or where I'm going. And that impacts my life. Uh, so if I just get caught up in, in the world's wisdom and the world's ways, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I am, and I, and I don't know how to handle my finances or raise my children or treat my wife. I don't get it. And uh, I'm just in sort of a state of darkness in many respects. So it's really important that men lean into wisdom. What's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, it's really interesting. I wrote something down here. We know more today about marriage, knowledge-wise, than we've ever known, and the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. We know more about mental health than we've ever known. The mental health is worse than it's ever been. We know more about physical health. Our physical health is worse than it's ever been. The same is true of finances, family unity, obesity, suicide, anger, hate, loneliness, drug abuse, alcoholism, racism, everything. We know more about everything, but everything is worse because man is addicted to knowledge and allergic to wisdom. That's a key line. And here's the difference. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, which we're very good at. We're increasing in knowledge at an exponential rate. Wisdom is the proper application of the knowledge. I can have a cell phone. The cell phone wasn't built on wisdom. It was built on knowledge. And I can, I can have a knowledge of how to use it, but I have to use it wisely. That thing can, that thing can get us in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. Uh, computers, everything can get us in trouble. Therefore, we have to be wise in navigating life, in navigating all the different devices that we use today. Uh, the interesting thing is, is that, is that evil can travel today at 186,000 miles per second. It didn't travel that fast years ago. It crept along, but now it just spreads so rapidly. And as men or anybody, we can get sucked in to the world. Uh, that thing is on us all the other The other day I was talking to Eric Rogers. I was talking about a book. Five minutes later, that book popped up on my screen advertising the book. That, that thing knows what's going on about oh, yeah. what we're doing, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a world in which we have to be just very, very careful um, as to how we use technology, how we think about life, and, and understanding the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Uh, wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number, of, a number of definitions. I just like I just came up with the idea of, of the fact that I'm, I'm watching all this knowledge increase, but I'm not, knowledge is designed to solve problems. And if we're increasing in knowledge at an exponential rate, wouldn't you think our problems would be gone? Mm-hmm. They're not, they're increasing with the knowledge. But there's no wisdom attached to it. Dead end street. Mm. That's powerful, Mike. I mean, it's so powerful because you're right. I mean, we, we have this knowledge. I mean, we have this cell phone right at our side that's a computer yeah. that used to be a giant computer. Now it's like in our hand. Oh, yeah. You know, but how do we use that, right? Because, I mean, Satan brings pornography. Oh. Satan brings, you know, man, I can use this to destroy somebody else or even my own life. You know, if I don't have the wisdom, but there's also, I can read God's Word. I can yeah. also send text messages you to can. affirm people and encourage people. So so it really comes down to that wisdom. It's not the knowledge. And that's what we are sold a bill of goods that's on right. knowledge. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, yes, there, any time that, that, we invent anything, you can be sure Satan's going to sneak in there. Well, yeah. when I say we, because Satan is the prince and the power of the world system, so he runs the show here under God's sovereign hand. He allows him to do that, so as soon as something like that's invented, he's going to use it for evil purposes, mm. probably more so than good, mm. if you consider how much pornography is looked at, and, how, and also 
uh, kids today uh, getting on there and finding out, gee, I may not really be a boy. I might be a girl, all that. No, and nobody thought that way when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to go to school to learn what gender you were. Yeah. Now you do. Yeah. Now it's, mm-hmm. it's a crazy, and it's due to the technology and sexual revolution. And, and, if, if, and if we start acquiescing to this, if we start capitulating, we're going to wind up saying, well, gosh, what's wrong with, and science has been proven, and just start sliding right down that rather. No, God has spoken very, very clearly on all these issues of marriage, gender, sexuality. It's right there. But that thing can pull you away into a totally different world. Mm. So, so why is it so important for men to chase after wisdom and grow in wisdom? Because by nature, we don't have it. Mm. We're, we're not by—the heart is incurable and, and deceitful, and who can know it but God, Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, we're evil from our youth up, God says in, in Genesis 8. Uh, we find that uh, Jesus says it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, but what comes out of the man. Then he gives this whole list. We don't want to even read the list, but he's not talking about Hitler. He's talking about you and me. <laughs> That's, that's, that's our nature. Mm. Uh, if, if, if there was a three-year-old in this room and I said, listen, I'm going to leave the room for a couple minutes. Whatever you do, don't touch this microphone. As soon as I walk out, it's the first thing you're going to do. Why? Because we have a natural desire to do exactly the opposite of what God tells us to do. If you're walking through a, uh, through, um, on the street and you see 50 uh, benches, and one of them says, wet paint, don't touch. You'll see nothing but fingerprints all over it. Why? Because it said, don't do it. Got to find out if it's still tacky. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's the nature. Put a man under any kind of a law, and he's going to resist that law. The speed limit's 55, we're going to do 65. So, uh, I mean, I would never do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, it, it, it's so important that we, that we understand what God says about our human heart. Hmm. Because if we don't really know ourselves... You're never really going to know God. Mm. Some, some, I, think it was, I think it was Martin Luther or somebody said, you have to know yourself almost before you get to know God mm. because it, it explains how, what God's view is of us. And when we begin to own up and humble ourselves and admit, I'm by nature not a good person. Mm. There's none righteous, no, not one, none good. And so when I come to Christ, that now illuminates my mind to understand the deep things of God. I can now step into his word I can now understand the direction for how to navigate life with all of its struggles. And I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have all the wisdom in the world. I still make a lot of dumb mistakes. But if I look back, I can see that something really changed in my life because I was not headed in a good direction Mm -hmm. until I came to know Christ. It clearly turned my life upside down, or as I often like to say, right side up, (laughs) uh, and, and really changed my life. And I, I just feel like wisdom is such a huge thing because I realize I lack so much when I, when I think of life and the complexities of it and how to handle things. And, and also the wisdom that other people have. You know, you and I have known each other for a long yeah. time. When we go to the Amazon, it's so great because you bring a dimension to those guys that I don't bring. Yeah. You've got that leadership exhortation gift, and I come in with my boring, just here's how you, right. here's what the scripture <laughs> says, you know. And so we complement each other, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. That's just so important in this area of wisdom because I might see something that you might not see, and you've got wisdom in, in, that I don't have. Yeah. And so coming together really builds a, a solid uh, foundation and framework for life. Wow. And, and I love that because I want you to expound on that a little bit. How do, how do men grow in wisdom, right? I mean, like if, 
you said, you know, you come to know Christ, right, in committing your life to Christ under God's sovereign hand, and and so that's the beginning. But but there is this growth to to gaining more wisdom, and and how do you how do you do that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> when you fear God, you'll start gaining wisdom. Have you ever paused and wondered why it says that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If I know what the scriptures say about what, whatever the topic is, let's say it's finances, and, and I find myself getting into severe debt or just constantly swiping my credit card. If I fear God, he's already told me certain things about debt, and he's told me certain things about money. If I fear him, I'll obey that. If I don't fear him, I won't obey that, and I lack wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, and, and it, I don't, we often people talk about whether it's knee-knocking fear or, or just a real serious reverential respect for this sovereign, providential, almighty God that is in charge of all things. If I am getting ready to step out just to begin my day, to coming here, mm-hmm. I just ask God, I, I need wisdom to even be on this broadcast. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, and so, I think as we as we fear God, it it you know at the Naval Academy there's a very interesting statement. When you would sit at the table as a as a plebe at the Naval Academy, there are four freshmen on this side, four sophomores over there keeping their eyes on you, two juniors and two seniors, and you you had to sit there with your chin tucked in and 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 your rear had to be on the on the last two inches of the chair. And you couldn't look. And the upperclassmen are saying, pass the dessert, Minner. And I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, you, can't, you can't even look for it. You have to know where it is. And fill up my, t- and as soon as you start looking around, if there's something interesting, like you see a plebe over here standing on his head eating a pie upside down or something, you, you, you're looking. These guys over here go, Minner, keep your eyes in the boat. That was a big statement. Keep your eyes in the boat. It means don't look around, all right? So I've often said to guys, when you're going through the checkout lane at the grocery store, you don't need to look at all the magazine racks. Mm-hmm. Keep your eyes in the boat. Every time I walk through a grocery store, it just clicks. Keep your eyes in the boat. Yes. <laughs> so so yes. I, think, I think the fear of the Lord is keeping your eyes in the boat <laughs> in a lot of areas. You know, even all the material stuff. You got to have this. You got to have that. You, nah, you don't. And uh, so it's, it's important to... Uh, and and the, the Lord says things similar to that. You know, mm. guard your heart for out of the issues of life, and it talks about your eyes and all these different things. So that, that, that just comes back to me as I, as I think of that. Keep your mm. eyes in the boat. I love that. Keep yeah. your eyes in the boat. Man, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that to teach my kids that too. <laughs> so how else? How else do you grow? You were talking about, you know, the interaction with other men. Yeah. How, do, how does that help you grow? I have to be around men that see things differently than I see things. Mm. Like I've got a a small group at West Haven Mm. uh, that they invited me into. And these guys uh, all bring a different, and when I look at wisdom, I think of it as a a diamond with different facets. And I, I know there are certain things that I bring to the table that they haven't experienced and wouldn't necessarily know a whole lot about. And they have things they bring to the table that I've never experienced. And they can, and we're real honest. We always say what, what we say here stays here kind of thing. And I might throw out something and say, I just, I just really don't know what to do about this. And all of a sudden, one of them pops up and says, well, I can tell you, I've been there. 
And mm. I can tell you, here's what not to do. Really? How do you know that? Well, there's a proverb on that. Or, or the reproofs of life, mm. you know, just doing things wrong and experiencing the consequences. So when you're in a circle of men uh, and you really have the freedom to be honest and sincere and open, the amount of wisdom that can flow out of a small group uh, cannot, there's, there's no way to even imagine uh, the depth that is there. And, and you, you, you don't need too many. It, it, it gets a little diluted if there's too many. I remember it was C.S. Lewis that had a, I think it was in his Four Loves, that book. Uh, they, were, they were talking, they had five guys in the group, and one of them died. His name was Charlie, I think that was his name. And uh, one of them said, boy, we're really going to miss Charlie but the group's a little smaller. We're going to get to know each other better. And C.S. Lewis said, no, no. Charlie was able to bring out things in your life that I can't. Mm-hmm. We're going to miss Charlie. Now, there are the laws of diminishing return. You don't want too many people in the group, but it's true. There are people that can hold my feet to the fire that somebody else can't. They just see something in me or they've known me for a long time. Mike, you know, you have a tendency to, you know, and that type of thing. And so, uh, and I, that's why I think it's important to have a group of guys mm-hmm. that can call you out. And, and you have to be honest in being called out. And you, have, you, you really have to have that. You've got to have it. Mike, I love that. So you, wisdom, you grow in God's Word, right? And then you grow with other men, yeah. you know, and getting men. Uh, you know, why is it hard for men to be called out? <laughs> men are proud. Mm. Uh, I think by nature, women just like to talk more. They just, yeah. they just do. It's funny. I'll get on the phone. Yeah, Jeff. Right. Okay. Uh, all right. See you. My <laughs> wife's on the phone and you got to find out what dress you bought. And did you go to Nordstrom or, you know, and it's not a knock. It's just, it's just how they are. You know, yeah. it's just different. And I've got three girls, you've got three girls, but I do have a son that's leveled me out a little bit. So, uh, uh, so I think that, uh, I think that having guys that can I think that the issue when you talk about why men are so re- reluctant, I think there is a fear of being found out. Mm. I've told our people back home, I said, you know, if they put up on the screen behind me all the thoughts that I've had this past week, you wouldn't come here. Mm. And if they put on the screen all the thoughts you had, I wouldn't let you in. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, is a, there is a sense, yeah. there's a pride because we want to come across a certain way. There's a sort of a protectiveness of, of coming across. And I realize it's with me because Kay will often say, boy, everybody thinks you're so funny. And you know, you're not that funny at home all the time. <laughs> I say the ministry isn't funny yeah. after all these years. Uh, so I, I realize I have to step up to the plate on that. But I think there is a, um, I hate to use the word mask, but there's a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a way of putting yourself out there. Mm. We want to look good. We want to, and, and men are basically pretty proud. Mm-hmm. We're not willing to say, I'm really struggling with X, mm. you know? Uh, and I think that's important. I think it's really important because, you know, there's somebody there, if it's a particularly a, a small group that you really trust, those people might be able to say, I have struggled with the same thing. And let me tell you, let me tell you a book I read or a passage of scripture or yeah. what I've done to fight this. And it isn't always pornography. There's a lot of other things oh. that, that men battle with. Yeah. Could be materialism, could be anything. And I think when you have people that, that come alongside you that have been around the block, mm. 
in particularly in that particular area, they can give you a lot of really good advice, wisdom that you haven't haven't experienced before, haven't known before. And believe me, I have I have been around so many wise people that have just helped me out through life. There's no way I could navigate. I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have people that, that were there to say, Mike, let me reel you in here a little bit. Uh, that's not the best way to go, yeah. really. Uh, so that's those are some thoughts on that. Man, that's good, Mike. I tell you, because, you know, women, like you said, they'll, they'll talk to anybody. Guys, we tend to shut down, right. especially when things get hard. Then it's like, yeah. you know, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. Right. I'm going to get it done, you know, right. and, and I'm going to plow through this. But but in that process, we isolate ourselves. In that process, you know, man, we, we do. don't. Yeah, we, we just don't feel like we're even succeeding. Yeah. And, and I think this is where that wisdom comes in, to be able to f- gain wisdom through God's Word, but gain wisdom through other men. And, and you talked about that, and I think it's so important about, you know, wisdom is for guys, our decisions that we make, they don't just impact us, right? Oh. They, they impact our spouse if we're married. They impact our kids. They impact, you know, our grandkids, or they impact, you know, the people at work. They impact the people at church. They impact generations. Yeah. So, so men have got to be strong in this area and be wise and yeah. be wise. And I'm so glad you're talking about that. Well, consider this. When you talk about it impacts other people, yeah. let's take a look at two different people. Let's take a look at, uh, at Joseph in the mm. Old Testament. Uh, when he's in Potiphar's house, it says, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him, and the Lord was with him. And Potiphar knew it. He knew it. Yeah. He knew there was something different. It was impacting his household. Then you look at Jonah. Jonah's on board the ship. The storm didn't hit just Jonah. Mm. Everybody that was in the fallout area got clobbered and got seasick and got knocked around on board the ship. So both of those highlight what it looks like for the spillover into our families, into our neighborhood. Mm. I'll be talking a little bit about some of that this weekend, about us being salt and light. But I, I think that's... Uh, that's why if we live, if we live lives that are wise, people around us that are not wise, they could be believers or unbelievers, end up watching our lives and wanting to know why they just, why is trouble not always following them? I have a statement, uh, one of my one-liners is, wisdom doesn't guarantee you won't have any trouble in life, it simply guarantees you won't be the cause. Mm. You're going to have trouble in life. But you don't want to be the one that's the cause yeah. of the trouble. Yeah. And that's why I think it's it's important to, to have wisdom, and it's important to be around people that can—I I fell into a, into a, a financial trap 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a guy that sold me something I shouldn't have bought, but I had a three-day kick-out clause. And I remember reading Proverbs. It says, it says, a wise person doesn't answer a matter until he has all the facts. And I realized I didn't have all the facts on this. So I got a hold of a friend of mine that really knew a lot about finances. And it was a meat thing. And it looked like, I said, well, how much does the meat actually cost him? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm not good at math. This guy went and he said, you're going to be paying about $20 a pound. <laughs> this was a long time ago. He said, you don't want to get into this. So I, I called it off. And it was interesting because when I called it off, the guy that sold it to me said, I didn't even realize that myself. And he came out to my house and I shared the gospel with him. He called me about 10 years ago on the phone. I said, I've tracked you down. I'm going to a really good church. I mean, so uh, this is crazy thing that happened. Uh, but, I, you know, I think this is where, and, and, and there's wisdom in different areas. There's spiritual wisdom. Mm-hmm. There's also just good financial wisdom. You can talk to a person who's not a believer, 
that knows a lot about finances. You can get wisdom in that area. Um, but I'm thinking more along the lines of just the basic wisdom of life, mm-hmm. of just how do you get along in life? Uh, how do you live your life? How, how does your wisdom impact the people around you and they see it? Mm-hmm. Uh, our executive pastor, Bruce Campbell up north, you've, I know you haven't met Bruce yet, but, but hopefully you will soon. Bruce, Bruce is just a really, he's a smart guy, but he's also really wise. Mm-hmm. And I, I rarely will make a decision. Bruce, what do you think about this? Here are five reasons why that's a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> you need those people. <laughs> you really do need those people. And I had a, a bunch of other guys up there that just, he, he's a, he was good at helping me think through the why. Mm-hmm. Why are you buying that or why are you doing this? And as he would poke around, I'd begin to, and Kelly's really good at that, my daughter yeah. Kelly. Uh, she's pretty good at, and my son, David, all my kids are wise, they're wise in different areas. Mm. It's really interesting what Kelly doesn't see, my daughter, Megan or Katie would see. Mm-hmm. And so I tell you, that's another area, your children mm-hmm. and your wife. Yes. They're great teachers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, for, because they know us so well. Yeah. So that's a good area. To- and I tell you, guys, listen to your wives, because there's that that women's intuition. Oh, brother. There is something about it, you know, and I know in my life, there's been times when I've thought about something, and then I'll go, Lisa will go, well, what are you thinking, you know, and, and why? And, and I mean, that's the dialogue, and it's, it's not, man, I'm the man, I and mean, this is what we're going to do. It's, no, we're together in this. We, My wife and I went to a marriage conference probably 35 years ago at another church. When we walked out and got in the car— uh, she said, there's something wrong with that speaker. So what? And he threw out kind of a little bit of an off-colored sort of joke that, that really struck her, uh, maybe because I'd been around that a lot, you know. And, and she said, I'm telling you, there's something wrong. I no sooner got back, a Monday morning, a woman set up an appointment to meet with me. She insisted she was just going to be here for a short while. She came in, and she said, uh, uh, I need to talk to you. I'm having an affair. And she said, and I've had affairs with priests and pastors. I said, well, you're only going to be in here for a few minutes. I, yeah. And, and, she, and she, she indicated that, that, that she was presently having one. And I said, and I started probing. It was this guy. Oh. I, and this guy lived on the West Coast. And I had to call him mm. and say, I'm going to report you to your elders. Mm. This was a big name guy and a big church. And he said, please don't play. I promise I'll promise something. He ended up getting in a lot of trouble. But so Kay, also, I was going to hire a guy, and Kay said, bad hire. I said, why? I just bad hire. She said that one time. It about destroyed my life, the guy that I hired. Just about destroyed me. So it's really good yeah. to ask, what do you think? What, what's, the, what's the radar? What are you mm. picking up on here? And so, yes, absolutely. Wisdom comes from a lot of different places. Mm. So, Mike, tell us this. I mean, what advice would you give to men about being godly leaders today? I think that, uh, first of all, a man has to ask himself the question, am I a godly leader? Mm. I have to ask myself that question. I don't ask it every single day, but I, I do have to ask myself the question, am I leading well in a godly way, not for my glory, but for God's glory, but that, but that people can see it. Mm. They, can, they can taste the salt. They can feel the heat from the light, hopefully, from my life as I see it. Because I've been around so many people. I can name you people in this church that are in prime time, mm. the class, 60 and over class that I teach. 
there are people in there. I, I walk in there and I can taste the salt and feel the heat of the light. Mm. Uh, I would say that uh, men have to ask themselves the question, since I've come to know Christ, what's been the growth pattern? Has there been a growth pattern? It'll look like this, Mm. but there should be, the ultimate trajectory should be that there is a difference between when I first came to know Christ and where I am now. If you're you're just flatlined, your spiritual heart has stopped. And, or maybe you don't have a spiritual heart. Yeah. Uh, because I think, I think it's built into, into men by nature to, to lead uh, in their homes and their businesses and so on. But I think the issue of spiritual leadership, I used to tell guys up our way, I would say, you know, I know you're leading your company well and you're doing all these things, but what does is, what is your time look like in the Word? And they'll, well, you know, I... That means you're not, you're not leading your, your own self spiritually to be a spiritual leader. Mm. But you know a lot about business and how to grow a company and all that. But what's that got to do? That's not going to last for eternity. You know, a, a person that has a lot of wisdom, so to speak, in the world and knowing how to build a company, their wisdom, their, their acumen, is when they die, it, it stays here. Mm. When a Christian does anything under the control of the Spirit, it goes into eternity. It has an eternal purpose. God wastes nothing for eternity. So I, I, would, I would say that men have got to, first of all, look at themselves. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis said, that which is not eternal is eternally out of date. There's a, there's a great one-liner. Yeah. And I think, I think men ought to realize uh, that life is short, eternity is long, invest in the latter. Mm. That was the last word I gave to my church up there. Mm. Life is short, eternity is long, invest in the latter. So we all, we don't want to be waiting until we're 70 or 80 to start thinking about what we're going to invest in. Like, oh, I got plenty of time left. Invest now. Mm. Take a good hard look at your own heart. Mm. Where am I? Am I reading good books? Am I in the scriptures? Am I hanging around godly people? Am I gaining wisdom so that I can be a spiritual leader to my family, to my neighbors, to the people that I work with, to the church, so that my life counts? Wow. Yes, that's amazing. Mike, you always do such a great job of kind of summing up the gospel. You know, if, if there's a guy listening today who, who maybe they're wondering, you know, is there a spiritual heartbeat? You know, am I a follower of Jesus? What, what would you say to them? I, I would say this. I would first want to know, uh, when, when you look at Scripture, God always gives the bad news first, then he gives the good news. Hmm. Uh, Paul drags us all into a courtroom in Romans 1 through 3 and pronounces everybody guilty. Mm. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our tendency is to think that we are righteous. Mm. You know, our tendency is to think, I'm a good person. I'm sure God will let me into heaven. No, there's none good. No, not one. Well, how am I going to get in? Well, you got to be perfect to enter heaven. Perfect? How am I going to get in? I'm not perfect. I got news for you, neither am I, and neither is Jeff or the men in this room. But there's a perfection called an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from another place. It comes from Jesus Christ. When I put my faith in Christ as one who died and paid the penalty for my sin, he takes his righteousness and places it to my account, and my sin is placed to his account. He pays for my sin, I receive his righteousness. So when I stand before God, I stand in the righteousness of Christ himself, not mine. That's the gospel. You're no longer dependent upon your good works or your church membership, but Christ and Christ 
alone. And when you do that, you pass from death unto life. Wow. Praise God for his grace, you know? Amen, 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 amen. And then that's when the fun starts growing in him, you, you know, and the maturity that comes and the wisdom go. that comes. There you go. Yeah, I love it. That's where it is. Uh, Mike, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy, I would like, I would like to leave a legacy of helping uh, the church to become a church that is unified. Mm. We're going to have our differences. But, it, but, but, but if, if the central issue, I, I, my men's retreat was... A divided church reaching a divided world. Mm. Rolling Hills is mm. different than a church down the street that doesn't may worship different. Mm. But the central theme, if it's an evangelical church, is we believe in the in the good news of the gospel. We might baptize differently or have a different role of women or whatever. Churches need to stop policing the other churches. Yes. That's that, let every church be fully persuaded in its own mind is how it's gonna run. Because you're never gonna be totally in agreement. But I would love to see, and I've written on this, I really want to see the church of the United States or the world really come together unified. Paul cries out for it. It's cried out for in the Old Testament. The New Testament so many places where it's mm. cried out for. Stop arguing over vain genealogies and all these different things. My, I, just, I want people to come together and say, can a, can a Calvinist hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Any Arminian would say yes. Yeah. Can an Arminian here, well down the good and faithful servant? I think any Calvinist would say yes. Mm. Then what difference does it make? Mm. Why are we arguing over these things when both of us can hear, well down the good and faithful servant? Uh, so I think that, that, that the legacy I would like to leave is a legacy of trying to bring the church together in a unified way so that it's a strong vector. It's a strong force advancing the kingdom of God in a dark world. Mm. Mike, that's awesome. And God's using you to do that. Oh, and uh, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God brought you here, moved you here, you know, and just the leadership you have demonstrated in my life and in um, this church and in churches all over the country and over the world. And, and God's given you such a heart, especially I love when we go to the Amazon and work with these jungle pastors and to, and to think about the impact being made um, to the ends of the earth. And so... Yeah, all glory to our great God. Amen. You know? Amen. And um, thank you for sharing today about wisdom, and I hope and pray that we'll all take this to heart and grow. And so let me pray for us right now. Please, please. Oh, Father God, I, I thank you that you are the source of wisdom, that you are the source of life, that you have given us your son Jesus and the hope that we have in Christ. And I pray if any man's listening right now has never made that commitment to you, Father, that you would draw their hearts to you. I pray for all of us, God, every man listening right now, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would be the godly men that you create us to be, that we'd be godly husbands and fathers and men after your heart all the days of our life. So thank you for Mike. Bless him. Bless his family today, his ministry today, Father. Thank you for all you're doing right here in your church and in this community, Father, for your glory. And use us today, Father, as men, Father, men who are wise in you and in you alone. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Wow. Mike, thanks so much for being with us today. Guys, be watching every Friday for the Man Minute, and let's grow in wisdom. This is an incredible challenge for all of us, and man, I'm excited about it and what God's teaching us. And then be ready for next month as we continue on in our series here at Men's Leadership Network. Thanks so much for joining in. Have a great week. God bless. You've been listening to the Men's Leadership Network podcast. We pray what you learned today will be helpful as you strive to become a better leader in your own home, workplace, and community. As always, if you're impacted by today's podcast, we hope that you'll subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others. 
And be sure to join our email list to ensure you never miss an episode. You can do that now and find all of our past episodes at mensleadershipnetwork.com. We'll be back with a new episode on the first Friday of every month. Thanks for listening.